Um, church this morning, we have something a little different for you guys, which I'm super excited about. Um, we're going to have three um, speakers. We have Jensi, Tyson, and Jason, and they're going to be sharing today, sharing and teaching today um, out of our passage from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16 about salt and light. So we'll go ahead and just jump in that order and just hear what they have to say. Good morning, everybody. Uh, hello from the Omens. We are so grateful that we can fellowship with you all in this way. Uh, so Pastor Niles asked us three to speak on the same passage uh, a few weeks ago. And you know, if we all say the same thing, it's the Holy Spirit. If we all say something different, it's the Holy Spirit as well. So today's passage is from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Uh, I'm gonna read the passage. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what's the first thing you do when you someone asks you about a subject? I don't know about you all, but my first instinct is to reach out for Google. So as Dora mentioned earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, our today's passage is about salt and light. So I Googled salt and I learned quite a bit about salt and rem remembered some traumatic memories from organic chemistry in high school. So salt is a co compound that's made of two extremely volatile elements, sodium and chlorine. Although sodium is volatile and chlorine is toxic, they come together as sodium chloride and they're integral to life. Well, the next thing I do when someone asks me about a subject is to think about how to turn it into a pun. So here's one for you. If you throw sodium chloride at someone, what will you be charged with? Assault, get it? All right, because the topic is on salt and light, I have one more and then we'll get into the passage. Um, a couple of photons check into a hotel and you know the front desk asks them, do you need any help with luggage? They say, nope, I'm tra we're traveling light. All right, feel free to groan in the comments section because I can't hear any of you. <laughs> Um, getting back to today's passage, using metaphors of two fundamental elements of life, salt and light, Jesus enlightens his disciples about their position and influence in this world. So for some, for some context, Jesus started his public ministry around the age of 30. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus starting his public ministry by forming his core group of disciples preaching the good news and healing every disease and sickness. So considering that his ministry spanned about, you know, three and a half years, his disciples were still getting to know him. Their relationship was still in the beginning stages. And he called his disciples from all walks of life. Based on the standards then or now, they were not very influential people, his disciples. They were not well-known folks. 
So if we were to picture the conversations happening between Jesus and his disciples during this time, when the people were in awe of his mighty miracles, when the crowds followed him around, the disciples probably desired to influence their peers in the same way. Uh, then moving on to chapter five, where today's passage is from, Jesus sits disciples down along with the crowd of people who's, who are following him and gives them a training on how to influence people around them and how to lead them to God. He turns the concept of influence upside down. Uh, in our world now or then, you, you probably have to be famous to be influential. In the Beatitudes, he lists out the characteristics of people who have influence. And what we hear is not what the world would typically accept as influential. Yeah, Jesus teaches, about, teaches us about the ethics of how we should live as his followers. It um, moves us away from the ceremonial depiction of what a follower of God is to practical ways to show the world what a follower of Jesus would look like. Uh, here in, in this passage, he uses two metaphors to explain how people who have these characteristics can influence the world. So I, I think Jesus used salt and light to convey a very specific meaning. So let's look at that in a bit more detail. You know, salt and light, they're so pervasive in our lives that we usually don't stop to think about it. But if you take a few minutes, salt has few indisputable qualities. You know, salt seeks to influence. It adds flavor, it seeks to preserve, um, salt seeks to heal. Light makes things visible, light scatters and it diffuses. So by exhibiting the characteristics that Jesus mentions in the first 10 verses of Matthew five, we can show the flavor of Christ to the world. We are the salt of the earth. So the characteristics of humility, meekness, seeking God and his glory, by seeking justice and fairness for all, by participating in the suffering of our brothers and sisters, by not retaliating, by seeking to make peace, we can show God to the world. Note that he didn't say we can show Christ through our lives, through arguments, or not listening to folks who are oppressed, or by manipulation, political gains, or making laws that make it easier to follow Christ, but by simply living a practical life for Jesus. By not following these characteristics, we become flavorless salt, and flavorless salt is not good for anything. So for salt to have a maximum effect or influence, it has to dissipate and dissolve. It becomes invisible, but uh, it leaves its flavor behind. So once salt has been mixed in with something, you can't see it anymore, but you can still taste it. Uh, it's human nature to think that as our influence grows, that we would grow and that we would become famous or prominent, but that's not how Jesus sees it. Uh, he conveys the kingdom principle here. Uh, as he grows in us, our influence grows, but we ourselves decrease. Uh, John the Baptist, when he was leading the way before Jesus started his ministry, he expresses beautifully during his time of ministry as his own influence grew and um, 
people started he hearing about Jesus through him and they went to Jesus rather than sticking, sticking around with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, his disciples were concerned. Uh, they came to him and asked him, you know, are you concerned about uh, all, all, our, all of our disciples leaving and going to Jesus? And in John 3.30, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. As we let Christ's influence shine in through a, through the characteristics he defined, and as they take center stage, we must diminish into the background. We diminish into the background, and that's how the world will see our flavor or taste our flavor. Now, let's contrast Saul's dissipating nature uh, with that of light in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When salt dis while salt dissipates, light diffuses. Light is credible. There is no hiding in the light. Light exposes everything. If our intentions are not right when we seek to influence through Christ, light will expose that. You know, light will make us feel vulnerable. Uh, light will take away fear. Light is silent. It does not cause a big splash, but it has a tremendous effect when it's shining. You know, light will give us direction. People will know us for who we are, and are we ready to show who Christ is in us? Are we ready to reflect Christ's light through us? Because he himself, call, he calls himself light in John 8, 12. You know, as children of God, we distinctly give off light with hardly a word being said. In the words of Jesus, our light is necessar not necessarily in the witness of our words, but in the witness of our deeds, our good works. Our light can shine a just uh, our light can shine a light on injustice in our society. So, is it enough to shine light on issues? Jesus got, goes on to say that it's not enough to shine light, but to take action, to take action through good deeds. To do a good deed, uh, we have to know what the deed, what the needs are. We need to be attuned to where the need is. Um, we can't shut ourselves off as Christians and live this comfortable life where we are not in tune to the needs of the world. Uh, two examples from the Bible come to mind uh, where people went beyond prayers and fasting to take action. As we live in almost, you know, some unimaginable times, I think of Queen Esther and the prophet Nehemiah, when they heard about the suffering of their people, they listened, they prayed, they fasted, but they also took action. I want us to leave us with, you know, good deeds that we can do in the context of what's happening around us today. A good deed is putting others first, you know, Maybe where it is wearing a mask when it's even when it's uncomfortable when we venture out. A good deed is to do our part to keep our vulnerable population safe. A good deed is weeping for our brothers and sisters when they tell us stories about injustice and disparities that they've faced due to the color of their skin. A good deed is shining light into places where it will be uncomfortable for us. Uh, maybe it's inward introspection or outward education to do our part to affect change in our community. 
A good deed is to love without barriers. So God's name will be glorified through others who witness our good deeds. Reading verse 16, to me, it feels like the good works are, um, are non-negotiable, but our light makes a difference in who gets the glory. And as followers of Christ, we're called to do everything for the glory of God and by being light and doing our part of doing good deeds. We do good works not because it gains us salvation, but because we're followers of Christ. Light knows no boundaries. You know, when we live as people of blessing, we are salt and light in the workplace, in our homes, um, which is all the same right now. We can shine a light on by following Jesus and living it according to the characteristics that he laid out in the first 10 verses of Matthew chapter five. But let's remember that the purpose of the light is to focus on the good works that bring glory to God, to focus on the fact that God works through his people. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, I'm going to pass it off to Tyson now. Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you for those words, Jinzi, that, uh, um, wow. <laughs> covered a lot of the things that I was going to say, but I'm going to say them anyway, because it's going to be great. Um, I, the first thing is I, um, when I read this passage, um, I think about like, um, what I do and, and my, uh, my life. And, and one of the things, um, I don't know, uh, people know I'm a school psychologist, uh, for Beaverton school district. And one of the things that I get to do in that role is to respond to um, tragedies like student deaths, um, staff deaths. Um, uh, that that means in any given year, I might go out to different schools, you know, uh, five to ten times. Uh, we have a really large district um, and uh, offer support to students um, when those incidents occur. Um, mainly, it's just listening um, and empathizing. Um, uh, but frequently what I encounter um, during those times are stories of salt and light. Um, and um, it happens when, you know, I just kind of ask students to like share with me about this person and what they, the person that died and what they meant um, to them. And, uh, you know, frequently what I get is, is stories about salt and light. Like, you know, she was just, she was so energetic um, she was a, a bright part of my day. She always made me laugh. Um, he was always kind. He, he was brilliant. Um, he brought, you know, he brought flavor to that student's life. Um, so when I, when I think about this passage, it makes me think about those moments um, and that it's not, it's not really what I believe about myself, but what, what others think about about me and what they might think about God because they knew me. Um, so that, that it's, it's a very, um, uh, it makes me just think about, uh, that kind of broader picture. Um, I've recently, recently been watching, um, Hamilton, uh, the, uh, the Broadway musical. It just got, um, uh, onto Disney plus, uh, if you haven't watched it, you might want to check it out. Um, it's my free plug for Disney Plus. They don't pay me any money for this, but 
I wish they would. Um, uh, one of the main like kind of uh, topics in Hamilton is about who who tells your story and what your story is about when you're gone. And so um, I think it's, it's kind of connected to me uh, to uh, pack to this passage. Um, uh, another thing when I when I look at this, I, I like to kind of look at the whole passage, what's kind of going on before the verses and what's going on after the verses. And so just before this, he, uh, Jesus, um, was gathering his disciples. Um, and this is kind of just like a, this ragtag bunch uh, of, of guys that, um, that no rabbi, that no teacher um, during that time had already accepted. These are guys that would have already had a chance to be educated, um, and uh, if they were, they were essentially if they were good enough, um, a rabbi would say, "Hey, you should, you know, you should follow me and whatnot." So they would have already been um, disciples had they been good enough, essentially. Um, <clears throat> so his his disciples are this, you know, kind of misfit bunch. And so he's just he's just done that, and then he um, gathers people and starts preaching. And you know, it's the Sermon on the Mount, um, and uh, the things that he immediately brings out is just um, you know, if you're exhausted, if you're full of sorrow, if you're if you feel powerless, um, you're going to find what you need. You uh, and you know, that's again, that's uh, just kind of what Jim Jinsey was saying. This is just very um, opposite of what uh, what was known at, at that time. Um, he's he, and he's saying these as like a proclamation of what can be um, and what will be when we follow God. Um, and then he he mentions some of these uh, you know deeper qualities about practicing peace, practicing forgiveness, um, seeking God, trying to follow God, um, and these are you know attributes that that maybe weren't um weren't valuable then um maybe they don't seem all that valuable now um uh but those are and, and those are things that are are i think very hard to do um uh practicing peace uh forgiveness all all of those things really seeking god um those are not easy not easy things um so the rest of of this uh chapter 5 through chapter 7 um, is still Jesus teaching. I, this is just, it's a lot. It, he, um, he's really going for it. Um, to borrow from uh, one of my favorite sports commentators, um, uh, he, mu <laughs> he must be butter because he is on a roll, you know? Yeah, he's, just, he's just going for it. Um, he's talking, uh, you know, he starts with the Sermon on the Mount. And he just jumps into um, all kinds of topics. He's talking about uh, later on, he's talking about the law and other moral codes um, and how to how to really kind of understand it. He, so he's talking about murder, adultery, making oaths, um, seeking revenge or retribution. Um, he's talking about loving your neighbor, giving to the needy, judging others. Um, and often he starts with like, you've heard it said, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, and then he kind of flips it and says, no, I, I tell you this, like, it's actually, this is actually more important. This is actually, um, this is actually the meaning behind that law. This is actually the the heart of that law or the heart of that command. Um, so he's kind of saying that, like you know, this um, 
the the heart of it, the spirit of it, the uh, you know the the real uh, morality, the 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 spirituality of that is greater than just the the simple obedience. And I I don't want to discount like obedience because obedience is really hard and um, obedience is is a, uh, is a a spiritual characteristic in and of itself. Um, but saying that you you follow the law, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make you a good person or a holy person or anything like that. He's, he's saying there, there's more, there's more. Um, and so within this, there's this, you know, this passage about salt and light. Um, and uh, I think for, for me where this lands, um, he's, again, he's gathered his disciples. He's done the sermon on the Mount. Um, and then he comes in with this, uh, with this preaching about salt and light. And I think um, for me, where it fits in is, is Jesus isn't just saying that um, uh, that these people are loved, um, which is important in and of itself. Um, but he's also saying you are you are needed. You are you are important. You're valuable. Um, and that's a message that I don't think um, that maybe his his crowd had heard a lot of. Um, so let's talk about the, the kind of verses on salt. Um, and one of the, you know, one of the, one of the things is that like, he, he's talking about like, um, if the salt loses its, its saltiness. Um, it's, it's useless and, uh, is going to be trampled on the ground. It's a, it's garbage. Right. Um, I think, uh, so this often is seen as, and, and sounds like a warning kind of a, a threat almost. Um, a charge to be more devout, um, charge to be less sinful, um, and maybe, maybe it is. Um, I think another way to look at it too is to say, well, he just he just called his disciples. He just called this, you know, kind of ragtag bunch of nobodies. He's speaking to a crowd that has been um, forcibly dominated by the Roman Empire. Um, so I think he he maybe is saying. Um, that others have called you useless. Others have thrown you out. Others have trampled you on the ground. The powers that be have kind of tossed you out, but not me. Um, so I, I think it's kind of almost encouragement in a way. Um, it's, it's saying, um, it's Jesus saying, you got this. Don't forget it. Don't forget that, that I called you. Um, uh, uh, I made you salt. Remember who you are. Um, and I think that's a really important takeaway for me is just to remember what Jesus has made me, um, remember who I am as a follower of, of, of him. Um, going on to light, um, you know, I think we take light for granted. It was, uh, when, when he gave this, uh, this message, light was definitely harder to acquire, uh, back in the day than it is for us right now. Um, and so I think it has a different, a different kind of importance, um, uh, today than it did back then. I think one of the things that is consistent though, is, uh, sometimes we really, uh, bemoan the darkness. We complain about, um, uh, the, the, the evil in this world, the, 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 the problems that we are facing, um, and then 
yeah, we just, we just, uh, we get lost in that. Um, but somebody I, I follow once, once said, um, or just ask, don't, don't blame the dark for being dark. Um, ask why the, the light can't be brighter. Um, and so I think that's something for me to, to think about, uh, and ponder as well. Um, why can't the light be brighter? Why can't, um, it shine in more places, uh, um, in those verses, um, <clears throat> Jesus says, uh, the light gives, uh, um, the, the light, uh, is, uh, is for everyone in the house. Um, and I think the key word in that is everyone. It's, it's not selective. Um, yeah, I, I don't think you get to pick and choose, um, who, who receives, um, the, uh, you know, the love of God. Um, it's, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. Um, and then, uh, later on, it talks about those good deeds and how those good deeds reflect back to, to God. And so, um, you know, I mentioned earlier about, uh, kind of the story of you, um, and the story of you has to be tied into, it's not just the story of you. It's not just about, um, not, not just about that. It's about how, how God worked in you, how God worked in, in us. And so um, I guess my main, main takeaway from this whole big um, passage is, uh, and then the, specifically the salt and light, is to, um, is to make this place, this, this place that we're living in better. Um, you know, salt and light, like Jinzi said, it improves life in very practical ways, and it's noticeable when it's absent. Um, and, you know, as a part of this passage, um, uh, later on, it's the Lord's Prayer, and part of the Lord's Prayer is um, this uh, this phrase of doing things on earth as it is in heaven. And so, I think that's one of our charges is to um, is to really make this place um, closer to what uh, what being in heaven is and being with with Jesus. Um, and so, I think two things that um, Two things that I think about as far as like um, moving forward is uh, starting with my neighbors. Um, how can I make my, you know, my neighborhood, my community, um, uh, a better place um, in a in a really practical sense? Um, and then uh, the other thing is uh, that I think about is what um, what things like really inspire you to be, to be better, to really try to, um, you know, to kind of, uh, in a sense, proclaim God's word. That's, I think those are the things that, that those are the places where God's calling you and whether it's, you know, working with, um, uh, with other people regarding like uh, problems in the world, like food shortages, uh, mental health, um, uh, utility or um, housing needs, uh, equality, uh, people with disabilities, health care needs. Um, I think those are, um, those are all, I don't think you, I don't know if there, there's time for everybody to get involved in all of those things. Um, but uh, where's God calling you to be salt and light? And so those are the two things that I think about. Um, uh, practically kind of moving forward. Um, 
So yeah, thank you for listening and I'm gonna throw it to Jason now. Hey church, it's good to be with you. Something that I find interesting about this exercise that Nell's had us do, where we study this verse and then we study it independently, uh, we, we then see what uh, we came to, is that we find out that we don't always exactly come to the same understanding of a verse. And it's interesting that salvation doesn't hinge on that. It's how the Holy Spirit directs us at the moment with a verse um, at times. And as long as we interpret it with absolute truths that we do know, such as God is love, God is merciful, things like that, then even if we differ on how we understand the verse, as long as it adheres to those absolute truths, we know we're okay with it. Something interesting about this verse that struck me is that not even commentaries necessarily agree what it means. Uh, they're not sure how God meant the salt of the earth because it says, well, what if salt loses its taste? Well, salt doesn't necessarily lose its taste. So what is Christ trying to say here? Some people say that um, salt was impure back in the day and it was mixed with other minerals. And so with the air, uh, with humidity in the air, the salt would evaporate out of this hunk of mineral. And so you would have this, this hunk of mineral on your table and the salt is mixed in there and you would take it and you'd kind of shave some of it off into your food. Well, if the salt evaporates out of it, you're just left with these other minerals and you shave it off in your food and you realize it's flavorless. There was no salt anymore. And so you have this hunk that looks like salt, but it's lost flavor. I actually differ on this. I, I find that there's some other commentaries that offer a different understanding. And it's important to look at this overall passage. I know Jinzy did this, Tyson did this. One of the things that I wanna point out about the overall passage is that Christ is speaking directly to his followers. He's speaking to his disciples who have followed him and they wanna understand what, what's happening here? What are we making? And so Christ starts giving the rules to the kingdom. He says, this is how the kingdom works. You have the humble, you have the meek, you have the peacemakers. And as Tyson said, and as Jinzi said, the, a lot of this was backwards to the way society worked. And so Christ is revolutionizing things with his list here as he's going through it. But he's speaking to his disciples. These would have been Christians before there were Christians. Christ hasn't died yet. The church hasn't come into existence yet, but these were the Christians. And so he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. And then he's giving us a second statement. You are the light of the world. These are absolute statements that he's giving us. And one of the interesting things about salt is that it was invaluable. We take it for granted. We oversalt our food. You ever go to Wendy's or McDonald's and you get your French fries and there's so much salt poured on them sometimes that you just, you got to drink water afterwards. And so we're, <clears throat> we get used to this idea of salt that it's everywhere. Well, it wasn't back in Christ's world. And salt could actually be more valuable than money. As a farmer out in the middle of nowhere trying to grow your crops, as someone that has a herd of goats and you're moving from place to place for them to graze, try surviving off a coin. That coin's not gonna do you any good. But if you have salt with you, you can preserve food. 
You can fertilize the earth. And so salt was invaluable back in Christ's time. We miss this a lot of times in our day. And then light. As Tyson said, light was invaluable. Try seeing in your house at night when you didn't have a light switch. A lot of times that's how people dealt with things. You, you had a candle, you could burn the candle for a limited amount of time, and then it was lights out. And you just lived in your house in the dark. You went to bed. There was nothing else to do. So we take salt and light for granted as to how valuable they are. But Christ is telling his followers, you are invaluable. You are the two most invaluable things in our world right now. Salt and light in a time where there's no electricity, in a time where salt was more valuable than money for survival. He's telling his disciples, this is how valuable you are. Salt, I don't believe, can lose its flavor. And this is what Christ's point is. He's saying, you are salt of the earth. He, in, in verse 14 then says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Well, this is a negative statement. And above, you are salt of the earth. But what if salt loses its taste? His followers would have been like, that's impossible. Salt always has a distinct taste. And he's saying, exactly. Salt cannot lose its flavor. When you are my disciple, you are salt. Can you lose your flavor? No. If you could, you would be worthless, but you're not. So when I read this passage, there's some things that, that stand out to me. Christ is teaching about kingdom dynamics, and he's teaching people who live in a class society. In a class society, you were relegated to a certain value based upon what position you held within society. Sheep farmers were some of the worst in society. You had servants, you had merchants, you had these different classes, and your value to society was dictated by the class that you held. And Christ is saying, when you are my disciple, you are invaluable. You are equal to salt and light, the two things that matter the most in our world. He's elevating them beyond whatever class they might hold to the world. Something interesting to me then is that this matters when no matter how small I feel, I can return to this truth. Something that's interesting is a lot of times our minds get so full of things that we can forget where we stand. And this passage, if you return to this, you go through a hard day, you return to this and Christ will tell you who you are to him in the kingdom and not only who you are in the kingdom, but where he has positioned you in the world. As Tyson said, you are a light to the house where you are placed. And this means that even those who aren't followers of Christ, you are illuminating things for them. You are a light to them. And so the light gives light to the whole house. And so when you feel invaluable, a lot of times it can be during this coronavirus time, man, I just sit in my house and work in isolation. I'm just able to go out to the grocery store to, to get the basic sustenance that I need. I'm not able to do a lot of things. What, what am I? Christ is saying that you are salt and light. And remembering that can actually help you even when you go to the grocery store. Remembering who you are when you walk in that grocery store, you can hold your head high. And when you hold your head high walking into that grocery store, knowing that you are salt and light, I'm telling you, you will treat people different. 
you will be the light to that cashier's day in a time when people are cussing out employees for telling them to wear a mask in a, in a time where other people are feeling hopeless. This cashier is showing up, endangering their own health, possibly catching the coronavirus because they're working long shifts, being exposed to the public. You can be light to them in their day. If it's nothing other than wishing them a good day. I can't tell you how often I've had a cashier lately. I, I try to do this so much now. I ask the cashier, how's your day going? I, I tell them I wish them well. And as I speak to them, a lot of them say, you know, the last customer I just had, they, they were so upset. They, they were angry because we have these rules. I, they were standing over here and I had to tell them while I'm ringing you up, the rules say I need you to stand behind the plexiglass. And I had a cashier tell me that he told the person, can you stand behind the plexiglass while I'm ringing you up? And the person cussed him out. You can be different. You can say, absolutely, I'll stand behind the plexiglass and I'm sorry someone cussed you out, but there are other people who care. My God cares about me, I care about you. So this gives you that position that you can hold your head high in the world. Now it says, why do we let our light shine before others? God has given us a light. He has created us to be invaluable. We let our light shine before others so that they can see our good works and give glory to our father in heaven. There is a vein of understanding that says that God does everything to his own glory. He, in a manner of speaking, is, is selfish. He, want, he, he doesn't mind if people suffer. He doesn't mind these different things because it all works to his glory. I don't believe that God's a narcissist. Rather, when you find a perfect leader, you want to bring others to them. God is the leader of this world. He is our father. And think about all the pain in the world. Think about how imperfect your own father was. Even if he had the best father, he's still human. He had flaws. But what if there was a perfect father? What if there was a father who made no mistakes? That is who God is. And so he's saying, if you let your light shine before others, they will give glory to the father. This means by giving glory, they come to see him in the position that he should be in. And they will then be able to follow him as father. Think about how invaluable that is. If salt is invaluable in this day, if light is invaluable, think how invaluable in our broken world, a perfect father is to people. So in this way, you can then let your light shine and you can bring other people to this perfect father. Why would you have this treasure and not want to share it with others? So God is saying, do your good works. Even if that good work is to brighten a cashier's day in the middle of customers who are stressed and at the end of their own rope and they're cussing them out. If you do the good work of remembering how highly God has placed you, and then you bring that light into that cashier's life, they will realize there's something different about you. And you don't even, I believe, necessarily have to say this good work is for God. I want to make sure that what I'm doing is directing you to God. Rather, it is a seed that will be planted and the Holy Spirit can work on that person. So you don't have to go out and evangelize and make sure that every good work is identified with God. 
Rather, as God's salt and light moves through the world, the cashier will recognize there is a vein of people in this world who taste different, who illuminate the darkness. So as we look through this passage, there's ways to consider how do I, how do I apply this to my life today? I've already said you can be light. <clears throat> you can be light in a dark world. But one of the biggest things that I see with this world right now is that it is lost in darkness. Every generation, I believe, goes to this time. You look at the generations with World War I, World War II. Throughout history, people have been like, this is the final day. This is the last day. The world cannot get darker than this. But yet the world goes on. And then light comes again. And the world gets lighter. Things get easier. And then darkness comes into the world again. And right now we're going through our generation's dark time, I believe. But the interesting thing is the darker the world is, the easier it is to see sources of light. When you're a city on a hill and the rest of the world is light, you can actually blend in with the hill. But when the rest of the world is dark, when you are that city on a hill, it is so easy to see that light. As a soldier, I tramped through other countries that don't have electricity like we do. And it's so crazy to see what an actual dark world looks like and to be able to see a light on a hill. It pulls you to them. So often I believe there, there's believers who think we need to go out into the world and we need to almost beat these people into submission to God. We need to tell them, you're such a sinner. You're so rotten. I need you to I need you to choose Christ. And what this verse is saying is when the world is dark, if you just stand there as a light, they will see you and they will come to you. They will want to know what's different. So applying this to our dark world today, number one, understand that you are a light in the darkness. And the darker the world gets, the easier it is to see the light in you. Also, you are valued no matter what the world might tell you. In a class society, Christ says, you are the two most invaluable things in our world. Salt and light. Salt was more valuable than currency because you couldn't live off currency. But you could live off salt. You can add salt to the ground to fertilize your crops. You can add salt to your food. You can preserve your food with salt. And you are light wherever you go. When you are sitting in your house, all alone, working in isolation because of the coronavirus, consider who you could text. Who could you be a light to that day? So often, I struggle with depression. I struggle with, man, what have I done with my life? Here I am. I turned 40 this year. I look back at, at some of the things that I've contributed to the world. And it was darkness. And I can feel insignificant. I can feel like I've done nothing but contribute darkness. But when I read these two verses, I see that God has made me invaluable. I'm going to cry again, you guys. <laughs> I seem to always cry when I speak, but this is such a dear thing to my heart when I speak about God, especially in times like the world is facing today. I hope you can take something away from this. 
This has been a joy to hear different perspectives and to be stacked one on top of another where we haven't seen what we're going to say and we get to see how the Holy Spirit teaches each of us differently. I'm going to turn it over to Nate now so we can worship together again. And would you just have a great week and just be the salt and light of the world.